1: For 20% off your first system.
2: This is it. The time has come. Saturday
3: nights, all right for fighting. Right oh. Push down. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davies. You better than that on Talk Sport. Welcome to the Fight Night podcast from TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. Pleasure to be with you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this, therefore you never miss out on any of the content that we bring your way on a week-by-week basis. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or via the TalkSport website if you need an Android feed. Now, you might have seen a story circulating that boxing's on its way back, and it's on its way back to Eddie Hearn's back garden. This is a true story. Uh, We spoke about this on the show, myself and Gareth, and we also spoke to Eddie's right-hand man, Frank Smith from Matchroom Sports, to give us a little bit of clarification on what we can expect.
4: We've been looking at this as an opportunity sort of since everything, all of this started. And um, we, we mentioned about doing something in the office, it was more just a throwaway comment at the start, and then it's built up into this fight camp idea. So mm-hmm. you know, We're looking to start in July, it's sort all of subject to the British Boxing Board of Control and the and the government guidelines as and when they come out. Um, and mm. look, you know, we, we're we used to putting on big events, large-scale events. You would think it would be a bit easier with no no crowd there, but there's going to be a lot of work to do, a lot of things to put in place to make this happen. But it's exciting. And, um, you know, we we feel like we've worked hard and done a good job, uh, you know, got boxing back to where it is collectively, you know, um, you know, with the fighters we work with and Sky, et cetera. So we want to... Uh, you know, we want to come back with a bang. We don't want to just come back with a boring, you know, little setup, little studio setup. We want to do something a bit different. And these plans, these plans, you know, as people have seen, should show that.
3: By, by working in one particular location over over several weeks, do you do you imagine that to be easier regarding the health and safety protocols that you would have to hit?
4: Yeah, obviously, having our own site and being able to create something you know with what we're doing here we're building literally as as per our needs so you know every fighter will have their own personal dressing room the venue will be cleaned down before you know every use and we're looking to set everything up prior uh, probably looking at three days before the first event starts everything will be set up and then we're looking for it all to remain you know everything from the ring the canopy, the lights, the sound, everything that's in there will remain in place. So we're not going to have crews coming in and out, um, you know, putting things in. And, you know, just we're trying to mitigate the risk as much as possible. We're, we're hiring a hotel down the road, which we're going to have for a month. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough test and a tough ask getting everything together. But it's something we're, we're looking forward to putting together. And I think having, as you say, having our own location that we can really, we're starting from scratch and can make it you as know, safe as possible. That's the key for us.
2: Yeah. Frank, as, uh, as Adam and I were both saying in the, in the first section of the show, it is very exciting and it's very audacious, this plan. I mean, it's very bold. Um, in terms of the logistics of, like you say, of having a hotel that presumably will be locked down and people will only be allowed in there if they're involved in the event and no doubt you'll have a very um, strong testing process for everyone and so on. With, with the likes of... Um, say, Sasha Povetkin, if that fight goes ahead with Dillian White? Are you going to have to quarantine people like that for 14 days? Um, are you going to have to close off Maskell's Lane? Obviously, I've been there many times. It's a very narrow road, small road, and you'll get lots of rubberneckers wanting to come. Are you going to have to police the area around it? so Because people are going to be so excited by this you can literally look over the hedgerows, can't you? So are you going to have to police all this as well?
4: Yeah, look, from where you firstly, you mentioned about, you know, bringing a fighter as, as uh, per vetkin over. Now, we're going to follow all of the government guidelines, so as and when those are set and we understand exactly, you know, whether that means isolation for 14 days, then, you know, we'll follow that. Um, but it's something we're working towards. We're lucky with where the site is. It's quite cut off, you know, so you can't mm. really you have to, there's nowhere around where we are to park. There's nowhere around where we are to stop. Um, You know, we're going to secure it. We're going to have our our usual teams in place. And, and, you know, we have fortunately have a lot of experience of putting together high level events all around the world. Now, you know, from a thousand people to 90,000 people. So for us, that's sort of, you know, that's the, that's the norm for us. So it's going to be, it's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be challenges, but you know, we'll keep it very, very safe and, I think we're lucky in, as I say, in terms of where we are, that it's going to be able to keep it as secure as possible.
2: Eddie's mentioned perhaps 80 or 90 people, and that all makes sense with you know, medical, logistics, um, your staff, the boxers, their corners, the judges, the referees, the boxing board of control. Um, so all these people, that that's going to be them, a very, very shortened crew. How do you... I know from speaking to Robert Smith, um the, the Boxing Board of Control. You've been a, a big contact with him. I know you're in contact with him several times a week, rather than Eddie, who's busy with his own things as well at the moment. You know, all that internet work that he's doing in his shows. Um, what's the reception been like for you from Robert towards you doing this when you've brought it up with him?
4: Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, we have a very good relationship with Robert the Boxing Board of Control. Control. Um, and, you know, something something he's, he's very interested in. He's been a great supporter of you know us building up and the work we've done over the years and i think he sees he sees uh what we're trying to do here and he's very excited by it um and you know we're working closely with them day in day out to make sure again we make it as safe as possible you mentioned the numbers there 80 to 90 people you now we're really we used to we would normally have 350 people at one of our events um mm. so we, we're we're looking at everything we do and we're we're having to change the way we deliver things so but yeah, Robert's been great, and the, all of the British boxing board control have been very helpful. So, you know, they're, they're, they're very much behind it.
3: Great. Frank, Frank, regarding, obviously, the, the loss in revenue that you, you will face from not having ticket sales, when, when you put in a big one on, like, a Dillian White fight against a Povetkin, we would imagine that be pay-per-view. But the guy the, for the mid-to-lower T fighters, and that's, that's no disrespect to them, would you imagine running those events at a loss is is that what would happen for a period of time a bit of speculate to accumulate and pick it up at the back end with the pay-per-view numbers that you would do with a white fight
0: yeah
4: look it's going to cost us a lot of money to do this and put it all together i think the the figure banded about in the piece yesterday was a million pounds um Mm. but it's something we you know something we're willing to do we, we want to invest we want to get back up and running as soon as possible and you know this is a tough time for all businesses not just ourselves you know we're we're just one part of, you know, millions of businesses in the UK that are that are struggle, you know will struggle coming back and need to adapt and need to make changes. So it's all part of the investment in the sport and uh, getting back to getting back to where we want to be and where the sport was at. We want to make sure we carry on and keep building.
2: Do you think then in that case that boxers are going to have to accept particularly in a pay-per-view like a dillian white who's you know now a box office fighter in his last four or five fights big following you fill out the o2 arena when he fights are they gonna to have to accept as you say rather like many other businesses uh, many people who are furloughed and so on at work at the moment that for, maybe for a year that boxers may have to take a loss and could this be the precursor of getting the very big fights and you know the ones I'm talking about with the likes of Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury and so on that there is a possibility of doing those fights on plan air if you like in, in open air without a live audience down the line if we aren't ready to have masses of people again together
4: yeah, I think the market naturally is going to adapt with this, you know, where we can't sell, you know, five, ten thousand 10,000 tickets, whatever the number is. Until we get to a point where we can, the business can be back to normal and we can have a crowd that, you know, the market will have to adapt. Um, and, you know, some fighters, I'm sure, will understand that. You know, they Fighters could sit out and say, you know, I want to wait until it gets back to normal. And that's, you know, that's up to them. But, you know, the fighters understand that we want to give them opportunities um and you know things are slightly different uh, as you say things are going to be slightly different and yeah. yeah like I say they understand it i think as you mentioned there it's going to mean that the bigger fights probably do happen quicker you know i, I think a lot of we're going to Get rid of a lot of the warm-up fights, as you may, you know, we may have seen in the past. Mm. Now it is going to be bigger fights. People going straight in, I believe.
2: Um, and, and finally, how are your runs with uh, with your partner Emily going? Are you managing to get the better of her? Finally, we spoke to you a few weeks ago, and you said you were losing every day. How's it going?
4: No, it's, it's, it's going well. We've given up the runs. We're taking it. She's now got me playing various card games and a game called Rummy Cup <laughs> every night. Which she, she enjoys. She's the worst loser in the world. So I'm quite good at just pretending I don't care. So I'll, I'll just let her win every day.
3: One man who had a fight scheduled during this period was Derek Chisora. Alexander Usyk was supposed to be his foe this weekend coming in London. It's obviously not happening, but fingers crossed we'll be able to get it on sometime soon. Our boy, James Savundra, caught up with the man known as War this week for a bit of a catch-up.
5: So basically I built a little gym before everything happened, you know, David, uh you know, he said, let's build something near, uh, like, in, in the basement, in the shop. So I build a little nice gym. And then uh, every day I do one hour with two different trainers on the phone, telling me what to do, running machine, you know, and stuff like that. So that's what I've been doing in long distance running.
1: And in terms of the boxing side of things, I imagine there's things that you probably can't do because there's there's no trainer there.
5: Yeah, there's things you can't do for boxing, but... What happens in boxing is, in sort of punching every day, if you don't punch for two, three months, when you get back in the gym, it'll take you, like, probably a week and a half to get everything right in motion, to move around. So you just have to just train, you know, try and fit other things you don't fit with boxing in. But it's it's working out fine for me, basically. You know, I see lots of people, like Lawrence Koli, build a little gym in his garden, you know, so I think most fighters have done that. There's good little things. You know, Dave Caldwell has got a punching bag in his basement, in his house. You know, we're adapting to to this lockdown. So we are following the rules like everybody else.
1: And for you personally, what do you know about the fight with Alexander Usyk? When do you expect that's going to be? Because, because, of course, it's been postponed. It was originally going to be next weekend, I think.
5: Yeah, it was meant to be next weekend, you know, our... Uh, You know, for it's, uh, you know, because what's happening right now in the world is very bad. So for me right now, I don't know when the fight will be. But I think uh, everybody, like my management team, they do know, but they're not going to tell me yet. For some reason, I don't know why. Uh, But from what I see from Alexander, he's training and I'm training, you know, doing what I can do, and that's it.
1: How long do you think you'd need with a trainer? As you said, it would take a, a week or so to get some of the boxing skills up to scratch but how long would you need in camp realistically to to feel like you'd be ready to take on a fight of that magnitude
5: personally up to me i don't even know i i i love fighting so if i have to go in there by tomorrow morning i would go in there you know because there's nothing i can do it's gonna make my boxing skills amazing you know i i just my my heart is ready to rock and roll so any time for me is, is go time.
1: I know you love to fight, but how excited are you about this particular challenge?
5: This challenge is a good challenge, man. You know, I'm fighting one of the, he's not even one, he's the best fighter out there. You know, uh, on his feet, gold medalist. You know, he's won everything he was given to to fight. And he's got good heart. He's an unbelievable fighter. His punch selection is unbelievable. You know, uh, uh, it's going to be a nightmare for me. You know, and I like nightmares. It's going to be hell for me. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: Have you spoken to Tony Bellew at all? Because, of course, he fought him two years ago now.
5: You know, I I, I haven't spoken to Tony about the fight, but we speak anyway, you know, catching up about the family and stuff like that. But me and him, I sit down and talk about the fight. No, I haven't yet.
1: Is that a conversation you think you might have nearer the time once you're back in camp? Yeah,
5: we're definitely going to have that conversation. He's definitely going to come down to London and hang out with me in the gym for a couple of hours, for a couple of days and stuff like that, if if he wants to. I made that offer already to him. So, you know, when, when everything is settled and done and we know what day we're fighting, we'll definitely invite him down.
1: In terms of this fight against Alexander, it's likely that it would have to take place behind closed doors. What do you make of that? Is that something you see as a a disadvantage for you, maybe, because I know how important the crowd, especially at the O2, has been for you down the years.
5: Yeah, you know what? When I train, when I spot, I'm by myself and my coach in the gym. So I start to adopt that style of, you know, of fighting in a, in a venue which holds 20,000. 20, and there's only probably be about 60 people in there, including the few schools and the doctors. I got ideas in my head which I run with Eddie by, you know, I would like to have a a soundtrack in the background, you know, when we're fighting, you know, people shouting people's names, you know, echoing, you know, people shouting, but in an empty stadium, you know, to just make it more lively, but who knows? We don't know. Might Might not be on closed doors, might be on, but we don't know yet.
1: Can you give me a bit of insight into some of those ideas? It's something that's been raised in football as well, potentially Fake crowd noise, putting up cardboard cut out of fans to make it feel like it's, it's more of an so event we, than it is.
5: we won't put cardboards because that's just a waste of, uh, of, 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 of people's time, but energy-wise, you probably pull like speakers, you know, people shouting, you know, people booing, you know the whole mixed crowd, you know you know, just make it live because we did see UFC, and uh, when we saw UFC, uh, it was more like. It was bit, it was a bit boring because the guy hit the guy and then it was a stoppage and the only person who was screaming was the guy by himself. But if they had the music in the background when he had stopped the guy and then played the music in there, it would have been amazing. People would have, hey! But well, it is what it is, but we'll see anyway.
1: Have you got any ideas for the music choices?
5: It Rolling Stones, Guns and Roses, um, The Eagles, you know. A couple, couple old school tracks and you know, fighting music.
1: There's a few interesting articles about what may be possible and what's needed for Fight Behind Closed Doors, such as you'd need to have virtual press conferences, you'd need to have potentially remote judges. And the other thing I thought was quite interesting was the thought that boxers wouldn't be able to spit in their bucket. Is that something you, you think would be possible? Surely that's something that you need to be able to do?
5: What is it, man? A fighter's always going to find somewhere to spit. If he can't spit in his back, he's definitely going to spit on the floor. The, the sport we're in, we in, we, we have to spit. You know, we've got too much mucus going on in there. There might be blood in your mouth going to spit out. You know, things like that has to happen in the sport. But I figure out they will know what to do anyway. Or just bring how many fights are there? And just bring 20 buckets. You know, each fighter has to bring his own bucket and speed his own bucket. And then after that, they take his bucket away and stuff like that.
1: And in terms of people have spoken about Fury potentially fighting AJ, is that a fight that we need to see in the UK and also a fight we'd need to see with fans?
5: Listen, we wanted to see a fight with uh, AJ and De Antoalda, you know, and then uh, things happen. You know, that fight... I don't think we're going to see it any time soon.
1: If you could pick out one fight from your career that you'd like to watch back in full,
5: which one would it be? second uh, fight was a good fight. You know, uh, I, I think my last fight when I lost, when I was winning the fight, and I, I thought I was losing the fight badly with Dylan. So I went, I went for a stoppage and then I just went uh, with my chin hanging and I got clipped.
1: Are you and Dylan now on, on good terms after the, the two fights you've had?
5: Uh, on good terms, yeah. We, 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 yeah. It's always hi. How are you? And that's it. You know, he came. He came to my dressing room last time. We spoke. You know, stuff like that. You know, I don't think. I don't think if he, if if there's another third one, I don't think he want to take it.
3: One man who's becoming a household name over the last couple of years is the white rhino, Dave Allen. He joined us on the show on Saturday night for a bit of a catch-up, his frustrations with everything that's going on in lockdown, not being able to work with his new trainer, Jamie Moore, and he also gave us an interesting call-out at the end of the interview. Take a listen.
2: with a good shot at that down and he's in massive trouble here in the
5: and's gonna make it he's gonna be out of my knockout he's celebrating already
3: David over just the of his life I don't know if you saw this guy the other night I know that we're obviously used to seeing him put the gloves on and get in the ring and do the business uh, but without the gloves on, he's pretty decent on the old dartboard, mate. I would say sometimes there's a bit of a career change maybe coming his way. Isn't that right, Dave Allen? <laughs> Hello, my
7: friends. Yes, I, uh, <laughs> I won a PDC uh, ranking event earlier, yes. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty good, to be honest, I say so myself.
3: Mate, you smashed it. The uh, The Stars at Home uh, Darts Challenge, obviously, this was all for charity. It was all for the NHS charities together. Uh, loads of... Uh, famous people and famous sports stars from uh, from other walks of life snooker players like Mark Selby who you beat by the way uh golfers like Beef Johnson cricketer Alex Sales, they all took part in a bit of a uh, a bit of a darts challenge and the uh, Doncaster Della Hoye we're going to have to change that nickname mate it's going to have to be something like the power Tailor or something like that we're going to have to we're going to have to get you uh, a new silk shirt or something for the next uh, for the next time you're on the hockey yeah
7: yeah very easy <laughs> i uh you know, I was, I, was, I was in first gear, you know. I think it's, it's first gear the, the slowest one. I don't drive, but... Uh, That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was easy anyway.
3: Have you always played? Is what? What's that? Is that just as a kid you've always had a dartboard or something like that, or uh, well, knocking about in pubs and what have you? I know my old
7: man's watching, and if you go to my old man's house, and you go in the kitchen, the kitchen wall is covered in, in, in holes from dartboards as a kid. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, uh, if you go there, you'd see I played a lot of darts over the years. And, um, oh, so, yeah, I, I do play a bit, yeah, but uh, not not very much. But I must, I must go, I'm just a natural, I guess.
3: Listen, you've got, we've got to find things to keep ourselves ticking over, obviously, uh, during these crazy times. How else are you uh, keeping yourself occupied there? Because at the start of the year, you changed trainer. We'll get onto that in a minute. Yep. And you were excited, obviously, working with Jamie and, and, and learning some new things and adding that to your game. But obviously everything's happened. You've not been able to do that. So how are you keeping yourself ticking over?
7: Well, I'm thinking about moving the DVD out, you know, for keeping fit and losing weight. I'm, I'm looking all right at the minute. I've lost uh, about pounds. Nice. I've been training hard, you know. I went out to my sister, so I was training hard. I've come back home now. I'm back to work uh, starting Monday, back on a on a site. Uh, I fill buckets with sand and grano and I put it in a mixer. Sometimes let me use the wheelbarrow as well. So uh, I'm excited to get back to the normal life and. Uh, so yeah, keeping fitting that and now I'm getting back to work, I'm excited by it.
2: Isn't that um isn't that called a professional hod carrier, Mr. Allen?
7: I'm not sure. I I, I just fill the buckets with sand and stuff. I, I I don't really know, I'm not really technical. I, I just I, I just I, I just do what I'm told really.
2: Well it's funny because we just mentioned Dylan Drapo's one and forty three in his career, a journeyman is Is hod carrying at the moment. We had a very serious discussion about small hall shows and proud journeyman fighters, and they're the guys who are going to probably be worst hit coming up because you're probably going to get a fight in Eddie Hearn's back garden, I imagine, in the next month or two. Yeah, the back garden looks lovely, doesn't it? I've never been there,
7: but I saw a picture of it, um you know, I spoke to Eddie, and I think I think I'm very fortunate that I may get a slot in the back garden. And I've done some good fighting in back garden, so I feel like <laughs> it's kind of like help for me scrapping it in back garden. So, uh, so no, I'm looking forward to it. You know, we've had we've had discussions. Obviously I've joined MTK Global and Jamie Moore. You know, I'm hoping to hoping to fight. There's only, there's only a few fights that I'm that I'm interested in at this point in me, in my career in my life. So, if I get one of them fights, then it, it'll be all system go. So it's just a case of waiting and see at the moment.
3: Dave, talk to me about the decision to join uh, Jamie. He's got a great gym up there, obviously Carl Frampton and uh, and the likes up there. What what brought you towards him, Matt? Well, Jamie Jamie's a nice man, you
7: know. I like him. I got to meet, got to spend time with him over the years in diff- different uh, situations. I you know, at show and I played Carl Frampton at table tennis, and mm-hmm. I like him. First, first of all, I just I just like the fella. Secondly, I'm a fan. He had a great fight with Macklin, Great fight with Ryan Rhodes. He's got some great fights, European champion, British champion, and and over the years, I've always thought he was a very good coach, you know, and he's got a gym full of fantastic fighters, Carl Frampton, Martin Murray, Rocky Field, and Chancel Cameron, Jack Catchell, Danny Morell. you know, the list goes on and on, so, I, I, I just think, you know, it'd be nice to go somewhere, I can be a tiny fish in a massive pond, and, you know, and, I, and every and every time, every, anywhere I go in life, the gym, anywhere, I want, I want to be the biggest fish in that pond, so, I want to go there, and I, and I want to be the main man there, and I know it's going to take some doing, but it gives me so much to look forward to.
2: What's I've got two things for you all right I haven't asked it of the boxers for a little bit. Can I just take you back to that question about small hall shows and journeymen? They're really going to suffer in this time Dave. Do you have any idea um yourself how they're going to rescue those kind of shows in the next 6 to 8 months? I think it's going to be very difficult. I think small hall shows well I don't think the rats all 2021 because
7: wow. I, I wouldn't be in a big rush to go into a big crowd of people. I'm not. I, I'm not going to be in a massive rush to pay to sit amongst loads of other people while what's going off is going off. So yeah. for me, smaller boxing isn't going to isn't going to be about 2021. I think that's the very earliest. You know, it's going to be very difficult to sell out to sell a thousand, two thousand tickets. Mm. And, and pe- people are very paranoid at the minute. Every time I leave my house, I've got I've got old neighbours, I've got old curtains switching, thinking where's he going? Him so. <laughs> It's going to be very difficult, I think, to to sell tickets to public events. Where are you
2: going when they're twitching those curtains? Where am
7: I going? I'm I'm just going out and about, you know, on my daily exercise and stuff. Nothing, nothing, you know me, Gareth. Nothing, nothing too exciting.
3: Can you tell us what's in
2: your fridge at the moment?
7: (laughs) I've got a pack of mints. I put a banana in there earlier. Um, Some grapes, milk. One we one we blue top one we green top. Um... <laughs>
3: uh, Dave, do you, you were just talking about the apprehensions that people have, obviously, of going back into uh, arenas to watch fights, watch sport, what do every, do anything really. I mean, what about yourself? Do you do you have any reservations about getting back to it?
7: Uh, absolutely, absolutely not. It's my is my uh, answer to that, but. I understand it, you know. Um, you know, boxing fans. Uh, you, know, you know, people in general. You know, it, it's a scary time. It's a very scary time. And I and I look at it and I think, you know, I'm a young, fit man. Um, and when you're 28, you think you can take on the world. You know, I, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. massively worrying for myself, but you know, you got your grandparents to think about. You have got your parents to think about, and, and and everyone else. It'd be very selfish of me just to say, come on, let's let, let's let's go go back and. And watch live lot sport because it's good for me. So um, yeah, I understand the apprehension. For me personally, you know, it's frustrating. Uh, I, I, you know, I've just signed into k Global, working with Jamie Moore. I was ready to you know kick on, and you know, I've my last track in my career. But you know, if that's on hold because of this, then and it's going to keep people safe, and then that's more important. I'm afraid.
3: And what and what are, are those conversations? Because when you sit down with your management company, you sit down with your new trainer. There's a goal. There's a. Go, there's yeah. obviously. Uh, Something at the end of the rainbow. So, what is that for you? What What are you aiming at now? I I want David Price.
7: To be honest. Wow. I want David Price. That That is the fight I want. I, I look at my career and I've headlined the O2 Arena. I've made I've made more money than I than I ever thought I would. You know, I've beat a former world heavyweight champion. I've had some fantastic nights. I've done all the media stuff. I've done everything in the career you could really wish for. Yeah. So yeah. now. I would love to win the British title. I would love that. That that that's something, you know. Going back to when I was 16 years old, my first cut across Swindles, is he going to be British heavyweight champion. Going to be the British champion it's the be all and end all, bigger than a world title almost in, in his eyes and my eyes. So, but when I go to bed at night, I think of the David Price fight. I don't think about all the good things. I think I didn't give my I didn't give my showing that night, and the, the place I was after the Brown fight to then go on to the disappointment of the prize fight, it just doesn't sit well with me. And a lot of people will look at that fight and say, David, why are we going to go about that? You end up in the, you end up in the, in the ambulance, end up in the hospital, and you was in a bad way, and mm. all your medical problems and all this. But I want the David Price fight. I've told MTK, I've told Eddie Hearn, I will fight David Price in Eddie Hearn's back garden.
2: It's very interesting, because at, at the yeah, time fine, you were cons- considering... Yeah, it's very interesting, Dave. I mean, it's great to hear your, your mental strength over that because at the time you were wondering wondering about not fighting again. Obviously on the Sunday morning after that you'd you know put out a, a tweet and a picture of yourself not feeling too good. Um, you mentioned yeah. MTK there. Um, great to see that your protégé Danny Morell has now signed for MTK as well as you. Yeah, you know, that was massive for me. You know, I, I
7: met him as a I think I first met when I was thirteen, you know, his his great granddaughter and my dad were best of friends. Um so it's come full circle, we're best friends now and I'm very proud and it's something I hope to go on to after my own boxing career, you know, the training and possible management, you know, I've been you know, it's not it's not really the things I've done well, it's more the mistakes I've made and learnt from. And I think I'll be great at that. So, you know, Danny's joining me now on his professional journey. So the more successful I can become in the next two years of my career, the better it is for him. So so, yeah, you know, I uh, I, guess, I guess I'm guess i trying my hand at, at the, the the training as well and I'm, and I'm really enjoying it. I get a lot out
3: of it. Just, just to finish, Dave, obviously back on that um, price call out, you've both got the same management company. We've got a situation yep. where people are obviously looking to put fights on, as you just mentioned, uh, uh, yep. Eddie Earns backyard. Have you spoken to Eddie about it? What What's his thoughts on it?
7: Yeah, well, the first
3: person I text was Eddie cause I forgot because I've managed myself for years. So, uh, yeah. So <laughs> basically,
7: I was I was laying in bed and I thought I want to fight David Price. It just came to my head, so I messaged Eddie and I said, "Can we do the David Price fight behind closed doors?" And then I thought, "I've got a management. I've got management now." So straight away I thought, "Oh, I better message them." So I messaged them and I said, "Can we do the Price fight?" Um, them parties is a bow foot for it. I respect David Price. He did a great job for me the first time. I respected him before the fight anyway. Mm-hmm. Olympic medalist, British champion, lovely fella. You know, it's not going from a bad place. I just want to try and put it right. I'm from the short line of David Allen's fighting men, unbelievably hard fighting men. I, I I think we are. So I want the David Price fight because I, I don't. I'm I'm not backing down from that. I I want to beat him. You know that it's in me. People always look at me and think I'm some nice soft man, which I am. But at the same time, I've really got it in me, and I really want to get him beat. Like it's not personal, but it. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna sleep well until, until I get back in the ring, and I at the very least give it, give it, give it. Uh, show people what I'm capable of, and people say, "When are you going to retire, Dave? You, you took a lot of stink. You've done this and that. I can't retire till, um, till 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 I put till I put that night right. So I hope I hope I will box him. And if not, if David Price fight don't happen, I probably won't box until until next year.
3: Now, as we discussed on Saturday night, there's many fighters out there juggling multiple careers. Some people are working on building sites, some people are working in supermarkets. Not many are competing on American Idol or oh, shows to that effect. Well, check this out. Franchon Cruz de Zern is a world champion in the super middleweight division. She's also a pretty decent singer. Gareth caught up with her earlier on this week for a catch up. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I've been fascinated by you since I met you four years ago, November 2016. It was your pro debut. You were fighting Claressa Shields. It was on the undercard of uh, Ward and Kovalev One, uh, Andre Ward and Sergei Kovalev. Um, It was a brilliant night of boxing. It was only about the fourth or fifth event at the the T-Mobile Arena. We'd had some major events before that, and... You had war with Claressa Shields, and a lot of us described it as the female hagler Hearns that and night it was i mean just tell us about that that war as a debut and facing Claressa Shields in your first fight,
6: yeah, so me and her have a, a rich history what were we were we were out of town we was in we were in- Ka- Kazakhstan earlier like a, like two or three months earlier at the world championships. I medal. She won a gold. I won a bronze, and I was like, okay, you know, she's going to the Olympics. I want to keep fighting. I'm going to go try for 2020. But out of the out of the blue, I get a phone call from her manager, and was like, hey, would you go pro on the Kovalev HBO undercard? And I'm sitting there on the couch with my husband because I hadn't started started training camp. It's probably about uh, two weeks before the the actual fight day. And I'm on the couch with my husband. I'm like, yo, they just asked me to go pro like, this huge stage. Yeah. So uh, I made a decision. I had to cut, like, a lot of weight and get myself in the best shape as possible. But um, going into the fight, I'm always mentally prepared because I'm a champion. I'm an elite fighter. And I just knew that this was not just for me, like, I already knew if I didn't knock her out, I wasn't going to get the decision. But I understood the platform and the responsibility we both had. So I said, you know what? I'm going there. We're going to fight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable, though. I mean, yeah. it lit up. It was the fight of the night, frankly. Yeah. And, and 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 it lit up the arena. And people were out of their seats. People couldn't sit still. Dave
6: Chappelle, the comedian Dave Chappelle actually came up to me and was like, that's one of the best fights I've seen like female men that's one of the best fights and I was like oh my gosh I was just like it was a great moment for me win we'll lose a draw it was like one of the best moments of my career
2: let me take you back then because French on cruise design it sounds like a, you know like you say like a, a an artiste you know um you were raised in Virginia um tell me about you growing up and are you one of many siblings are you how did what was the young French on like the very young French on
6: the same as I am now just a little unrefined uh I've always been a fighter I have all brothers um I will fight boys I will fight girls I will fight the teachers I was just I've always been different I've just been different I could fight a lot but I had so many talents and I just had to get ways to express them. So whatever outlet I had, that's what I did. And um I moved to Baltimore when I was uh coming into my teenage hood and that kind of like changed me in a different way too.
2: You you kind of describe someone who's very artistic, intelligent, but maybe doesn't fit in to the normal scheme of things. So were you were you like a rebel growing up then?
6: Yeah, it's like all right, so in school you had the really pretty girls you had the girls who uh could dress real good you had like the the athletic girls who were the gymnasts you had the girls who were like nerdy and i was none of that i was i was just like people knew me i was i could fight and i was crazy so i've always had like my own lane and i guess you could say i was a rebel cuz i did things my way
2: why were you fighting with people at that age? Obviously, you found out you could fight. Why do you, Why were you fighting?
6: So I've had instances where I was big for my age, not fat. I just, I look mature for my age. So um, I had older girls try me, like, wanted to fight me for no reason because I was different. And um, then, like, with the boys, I'm not going to sit there. My mother raised me to be strong. Like, you're not going to disrespect me. You're not going to treat me any kind of way. So. I just felt like I felt like I was strong enough. And then um, I was a little bully. I was the type of bully. So forgive me. I was the type of bully that the people I bullied, it was never from like a super malicious place. It was just like, you know, but if somebody else like tried to bully them and hurt them and be like super mean to them, I would defend them. So I was a bully with a good heart. And I get, I don't know, I don't know. Just people don't, I don't know. They just couldn't take my energy. I just, I've been very different.
2: Presumably then, you having fights formulated into boxing at some point. Was it just boxing or did you do other martial arts or how did it occur?
6: I don't, so, you know, why was it I fight? When I was in Virginia, those things are why. But like I said, when I moved to Baltimore, it changed me because now I was the totally uh, different person I was I had a different accent I looked different I did things different so people when they when you're different they kind of attack you or they attach to you my goal was to be a singer and I had to lose weight so that's the whole I only started boxing to lose weight I never like thought about being a professional boxer or anything
2: so tell me about the singing then, because that sounds fascinating. You look like you could sing as well. You look like you could sing Aretha Franklin. You look like you could do hip hop. Yeah. You look like you could do Adele. I yeah. mean, do you have a little sing now or not?
6: Yeah, I sing and I song right now Um, a little bit behind the stage. And you, as you know, like my boxing career, my pro boxing career kind of like took over everything. But now I'm kind of in a situation where I can still Do those things. It's more so wanting to accomplish them because I set out an original goal to do those things. I I was on American Idol. Um, My mother, she uh, became very sick. We actually watched me on American Idol from her hospital bed. And around the same time she was uh, diagnosed with chronic kidney disease was the same time that I started pursuing my amateur boxing career. And, you know, she fought so hard. And every time she fought... Every year I would come back with national titles and people knew I was fighting for a purpose. Like people knew she, I'm fighting for mom because every time I win, I'll say it was for my mother. So her her health journey and my boxing journey like coincided with each other.
2: You know, your your boxing career, you've reached world champion status. I'm sure you've got more you want to achieve, yeah. But but are you going to get a musical career going at the same time as well?
6: Yeah, on my own terms, like my goal this year it's to complete an EP, which is, you know, like four songs, four or five songs. I want to shoot a music video. That's the beautiful thing about music it's forever. Like you can be like a Quincy Jones or rest mm-hmm. in peace, a, a little Richard at those ages and still have music that's over the test of time or create new music. With boxing, you got to get in, get out, and, and make the most of it in that period of time.
2: Can you outline it for people that don't know the story, but will watch this? So you don't have the WBC belt now, which you should as well.
6: Yeah, so my fight is uh, was declared a no contest on February 20th uh, after two failed drug tests. Once again, it was declared a no contest by the Texas Commission on March 6th. So when it's a no contest, it means the fight never happened. And basically, the the belts should be returned to the the uh, rightful owner because they weren't vacant. I was in possession of both belts, but um, the WBO reinstated me and gave my belt back due to the no contest, but the WBC uh, has yet to do so, and they're saying because of a due process and the Texas Commission. So, you know, I I'm, I am who I am. My goal is to build my name. The fighters make the belts. You know, and it, you know, my name is in the history books and it would be amazing to have the belt back. But I can't force an organization to give me something, even though I earned it. And whatever they see fit, that's what it is.
2: Have you reached out to Mauricio Suleiman, you personally, to, to get an explanation from him?
6: You know, I have so much love for the WBC and um, some great experiences. And it's their belt. That's all I can say is their belt. I'm still ranked number one in their rankings, but I don't know. I just have to keep positive and keep moving forward. What's
2: the issue with Eddie Hearn, then, and you?
6: Oh, I have no issue with him. When he did his his card here in D.C., um, I have no personal issue with him. Like, okay. I just feel like he has to understand. I know he's doing his job as a promoter. You're supposed to promote your fighters to the fullest. Like, I wish I was getting that. You know, shout out to Golden Boy. They show me a little of love. They show me love, but... The way he goes hard for for katie taylor um and i don't think he knows like the history of a lot of the amateur women's boxing because i lived it you know what i'm saying i was there and uh you know katie's done some amazing things like i looked up to her when i came out she was amazing then but he made a statement saying that she's the only reason women's boxing was in, in the olympics and that's not true so that was the only issue i had but I mean, other than that, he's amazing. I love Katie, um, and he's doing a great job with, he, you know,
3: with his with background. Every week on Talk Sport, we give you a couple of fights to go and have a little bit of a nausea on YouTube, seeing as that there's no live action to be getting stuck into right now in the world of boxing. And I picked a cracker, but Gareth took us back to the dark ages. However, the story that he gave us is an absolute screamer. You know, I've been reading quite a lot this week about fighters making comebacks and what have you. And there's been loads, obviously, on Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. Uh, and there seems to be the this ever-forever narrative of Floyd Mayweather, whether he's going to come back, what's he going to do? Is he going to fight somebody out of MMA? Is he going to fight a Manny Pacquiao rematch and what have you? Uh, and obviously, you read lots of this on social media and loads of people, obviously have an opinion on how Floyd goes about winning his fights. He's undefeated, obviously, through his career. And I think he gets a lot of unfair shade. I think he's been a very, very clever fighter in the second half of his uh, career in order to market being undefeated and making himself a ton of cash. And he put in some wonderful defensive performances in that second half of his career. So what I want to do tonight, Gareth, I want to point people back to the time when he was known as Pretty Boy Floyd. A lot of people listening to this, our younger audience will know him as Floyd Money Mayweather. Well, before he was Money Mayweather, making gazillions, he was known as Pretty Boy Floyd. And this guy could knock people out. And he was sensational. He was ruthless. He still had that uh, fantastic defensive style, but he knew when to put his foot down and he knew when to take people out. And I want to point people in the direction of a fight that he had uh, in 2001. A 23-year-old. Floyd Mayweather mm. taking on Diego Corrales. Now, a lot of people obviously remember the Castillo uh, against Corrales fight, one of the greatest fights of all time. Well, this is pre that. So Di- Diego Corrales back then, he was the king of 126 pounds back then, undefeated through 30-odd fights. And Floyd Mayweather was, I think, the WBC Uh, super featherweight champion and that's what this fight was made at super featherweight Corrales coming up and it was billed as one of the big ones this is going to be Floyd's biggest test he's going to get it off uh, Corrales, Corrales never been down uh, in his career up until that point and these boys met and Floyd Mayweather put on a masterclass a one sided beatdown take a listen to this is quicker and slicker against bigger and stronger. One fighter gains a half dozen pounds since weighing in, and the other one gained 16 pounds. Mayweather's very smart. He jammed right in the pit of for stomp Brilliantly executed fight plan by Floyd Mayweather. He has quickness, speed, versatility.
4: Well, there's a brilliant start. ...produces a knockdown to begin the seventh round. Corrales has not used a jam on night. Fifth knockdown of the fight. Fifth knockdown of Corrales' career. Another mark of what a performance it's been. Ray Woods is up on the apron. That's going to be the end of the fight. And Corrales goes over and
1: nearly
2: accosts his dad. for having stopped the fight.
3: Sensational commentary. Just takes me back a couple yes. of days because I was watching this on YouTube. Corrales never down in his career until he stepped into the ring with Floyd Mayweather and then he was down on five separate occasions. Many say, Gareth, Floyd Mayweather's best performance in his career. What's your thoughts?
2: Well, I mean, as you know, at this point, Floyd was 24-0 with 16 knockouts. Um, Diego Corrales was 28 knockouts from 33 undefeated. Yeah. And many, many people pick the bigger man corrales with the power to win this fight but what floyd showed was brilliant reflexes and ring iq in this fight because um what he did he he got in close he used the jab brilliantly it's so worth watching this fight and what you see is um jabs to the head jabs to the body making corrales um drop his hands and brilliant short hooks that we didn't see much at the end of Mayweather's career, just watch how quick he was at the time. Your rights pointed out this was a thrilling performance over 10 rounds. Like you say, um, stopped him in the 10th round. It was a beatdown in many ways. And and this is definitely, it's a really good call by you. Go back and watch what Mayweather, Mayweather was at 23. He was one of the most thrilling fighters on earth. He was.
3: Now then, take us on a history lesson, you. Uh, Normally, we're we're throwing people towards YouTube. Here we go. Get your history books out. Gareth's taking us there. Let's go.
2: Well, the the little matter of 160 years ago, um, on April the 15th, 1860, in Farnborough, Hampshire, England, Hmm. the reason why this is a significant fight is that John C. Heenan... Um, the American heavyweight champion known as the Benicia boy, and Benicia is a place I often stay in when I'm in California, John C. Heenan came over to meet the Napoleon of the ring, the acknowledged British and European title holder, Tom Sayers, huge crowd. And it's regarded, the reason I wanted to uh, make it notable is regarded as the first great international match. Imagine for a moment as well, that Heenan was probably on a boat for a month on his way over. To get over here um and then they had the most incredible fight he was eight years younger uh, than than sayers five inches tall and 40 pounds heavier he had sayers down 25 times wow okay
0: over wow. Over, four, over
2: 42 rounds okay while, while sayers um used his pinpoint punches to swell both of heenan's eyes Um, And finally, after two hours and 20 minutes, with Sayers exhausted and Heenan virtually blind, the police intervened and stopped the fight. And it resulted in a draw. There was a riot at ringside with the crowd. The referee awarded the championship belt to the defending champion Sayers. But Sayers, in an act of sportsmanship, offered half of it to Heenan In a gesture of international goodwill if only it had been filmed great (laughs) great great I know that's one for the annals isn't it you know
3: imagine that a two and a half hour fight 42 rounds that's amazing
2: incredible isn't it it's incredible what they what people didn't know I think 160 years ago Mm. the meaning of I'm backing down. I think it's impossible today, of course, but it, yeah. can you, Im- and health I mean, and safety. it's worthy of a movie. <laughs> health yeah. And safety, yeah. It's worthy of a movie that oh, absolutely. end up writing the
3: script later on. You know? Get on it, Incredible. get on that, exactly that, my man. Now you might be thinking, where's the Tony Bell you interview? We were on for 40 minutes talking about his career. Well, it was that good. We decided to give him his own podcast. And it is available on the same feed. All you've got to do is hit subscribe. So while you're on iTunes and you're checking out Fight Night, hit subscribe there, then you'll never miss out on any of our content. You can also get an Android feed via the Talk Sport website. Make sure you come and join us live on the radio next week, 8 o'clock every single Saturday night. We'll be there, ready to rock and roll. And if you can't join us live, then don't forget, we are available every Monday morning via the podcast. So hit subscribe. We'll catch you soon.